means it's another time or another edition. Another time for another edition is what I was trying to say. Blair and Parker, the podcast on Sportsnet 590 Fan, wherever you get your favorite pods. Well, our dear friends, hey, I'm part of this group. The Baseball Writers of America have had their say. And just one player will be going into Cooperstown this summer. That player, of course, being David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox, who in his first year of eligibility was named on 77.9% of the ballots. I think there were 394 ballots cast by members of the Baseball Writers Association of America. He will be inducted on Sunday, July 24th in Cooperstown, along with committee choices, Jim Cott, Tony Oliva. God, Tony Oliva, man, was a great player. Loved him. Loved my Minnesota Twins. And the late Bud Fowler, Gil Hodges, Minnie Minoso, and the legendary Buck O'Neill. They will all be going in with David Ortiz to the Hall of Fame on July 24th. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, and Kurt Schilling all fell off the ballot. And their future candidacy now depends on the committee process. And, Kevin, if we know anything about the committee process, it's... It's not necessarily a slam dunk that they're going to get in right away, is it? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I think from what we've noticed uh, with the Bonds and the and the Clements thing, you would almost think this is coming down to a popularity contest. And if that's the case, and you got 16 of your peers throughout, and you need 12 votes, do you really think they're going to get the 12 votes? I'm not real sure about that. Well, Bark, now you played, and for the record because I know how you feel about steroids, and we've had this discussion often. But for the record, how do you view the difference between Bonds and Clemens and David Ortiz regarding steroids? And let's throw in A-Rod as well, who in his first year on the ballot received 34.3%. Look, Billy Wagner's on the ballot. Billy Wagner says he doesn't think Alex Rodriguez should even be on the ballot. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Billy Wagner. I think if you've been suspended by Major League Baseball for a PED or any perf- performance-enhancing drug, you should not be on the ballot. You should not have an opportunity to go into the Hall of Fame. That's Manny Ramirez. That's Rafael Palmeiro. That's Nelson Cruz, who you know I'm in love with some Nelson love Cruz. Love the boomstick. We love us the boomstick. Absolutely, and Robinson Cano. I just, you know, that's with the David Ortiz kind of thing. I, I think since he... Never had been suspended by Major League Baseball. Now, he was on that, what, that failed random survey test. But do you really know what that is? So I agree with the writers getting Ortiz in. The, the Bonds and Clemens thing, listen, they've never been suspended either. Why aren't they in the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're preaching to the preaching to the choir here. Uh, for the record, and I've made this clear, my, my ballot this year was Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, and Ortiz. And uh, which probably means next year oh. my, only, my only vote will go for A-Rod. Which we can talk about that really? down the road. Let's talk about David Ortiz. Toronto Blue Jays fans, of course, well, they've seen more than they want of David Ortiz, I think it's safe to say. In fact, David Ortiz hit 62 of his 541 career homers against the Blue Jays. That's more than any other team. 41 of those were hit at the Rogers Center, Kevin Barker, which is more than he's hit in any other ballpark. And when, and when I say David, Mar- uh, David Ortiz, the first thing that comes to mind, I think, for most people is just how clutch he was. 445, just look at his World Series numbers, 445 average, 1.372 OPS in 14 World Series games. Of course, we know about his terrific performance in the 2004 ALCS against the New York Yankees, and we'll talk about that later on with Johnny Damon. Kevin, that is not bad for a guy who was released by the Minnesota Twins, is it? 
How about that? Yeah, well, yeah, the first six years of his career, let's face it, whether it's lack of playing time, whether it's an approach by the Minnesota Twins trying to get him to go line-to-line, David Ortiz is not really a line-to-line guy. He's more of a, a left center to right field line, that kind of guy. Now, he used that green monster in Boston to his advantage. That's obvious. You know, you could miss hit a ball. You could face a tough lefty and just fight that off and not have to do too much and get a long single. You know, he ain't, he ain't hustling out too many doubles, hitting balls off that green monster, but it – for me, helped him get where he's at today, and, and you have to give him props. He he made some adjustments. He, he established a routine. He figured out who he was as a hitter. He knew what he had to do. You know, you have to mash fastballs. You have to fight off good breaking balls to live to fight another day with two strikes. Yeah, look, he's, a, he's an all-around left-handed hitter. I'll ask you this. With the hitters that you've seen, and you've seen a ton of them, could you argue that if you needed one hit in Game 7 – He'd be the guy that you'd want at the plate. Oh, without question. Yeah, he would. I, I mean, he would certainly be one of the guys. Oh, yeah. I'll put it this way: Game Seven of the World Series, he's the guy. Yes, Game Seven of the World Series, he's the guy. Uh, uh, Lefty or righty, doesn't the, really matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. Hit. You're talking about a hit, not a, not even a home run, just anything. A hit. I'm taking no. David Ortiz. I'm taking David Ortiz in the clutch. No doubt about it. Uh, of course, Ortiz helped the Boston Red Sox 86-year World Series curse come to an end. He helped turn the team into, frankly, into a multicultural fun bunch. And they were called the idiots in 2004. And Johnny Damien gets credit for that. And he's going to join us later on in the show. And we're really looking forward to that discussion with Johnny Damon. But, uh, Kevin, right now we want to celebrate David Ortiz's induction. And... And uh, we want to uh, we want to do it with somebody. Well, th- th- think about this career. We want to do it with somebody who won not only two World Series with David Ortiz and the Boston Red Sox, but he also won two World Series, the two World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays back to back. In fact, he was on the mound for the final out of the first uh, World Series win for the Blue Jays. If you look at those Boston Red Sox teams, Kevin Barker, guys like, yeah, there was the, you know, there, there, there were the Ortiz's and, and, and the Johnny Damon and the Kevin Millar. And, but it's remarkable the, just how steady, how steady that Red Sox bullpen, guys like Mike Timlin, who will join us in a few minutes, just how important and how steady that Red, the Red Sox put their bullpens together during that run. Like they, I, I was lucky enough to cover a lot of their postseason games and to cover a lot of their stretch drives. And you know they never got the credit the Yankees got. People looked at the Yankees as being this kind of cool, professional machine that would just go out and win games. And the Red Sox were the guys that were always kind of scruffy. And again, you know, the whole idiots thing. But man, they uh, they had some guys who were just just pros. Yeah, I think they, for me anyway, on the outside looking in, they were a squad that that just did enough. They knew they had a really good lineup. The middle of their order with Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz, right? That righty lefty combination was impossible to to pitch to. Could do anything to a baseball, and it was just you know you you score enough and you do just enough in that bullpen to win a bunch of games and, and go ultimately where they want to go. Uh, they, they were feared for me, like they they were 
an ugly team. They were, they were, it's just when you tuned into them, you really didn't know what to expect. You, you could you could get an outstanding uh, pitching performance on the mound from a starter, or you could have a bad one. You could have a comeback because David Ortiz, they're down seven runs. He runs into one. They win eight to seven. Uh, it's just one of those teams where, right, they just did enough to, to win and, and win a bunch of World Series. And, look, it was it – was, they bought into what they wanted to do, which is, which is win and no matter what it looked like. And it was interesting because for the longest time, there had been a real weight of history when it came to the Boston Red Sox. And and when I talk about a weight of history, I'm talking about uh, issues with African-American players. Uh, Boston was not always the most comfortable city for African-American players to play in. We know that. That's just that's a matter of historical record. Uh, but that Red Sox team, the, 2000 and, the 2003 team, probably starting in... In in the early 2000s, when they got Pedro, they got Manny Ramirez, they got David Ortiz. I remember having a conversation before one of the World Series games in St. Louis with uh, Theo Epstein when he was general manager of the Red Sox. A bunch of us were talking to him on the field, and we were talking about sort of how the the image of the Red Sox had changed. And he made a point that, you know, when Dan Duquette was general manager of the Red Sox, he got a lot of grief for a lot of things. But Dan Duquette brought in Pedro. And Pedro, I don't know if there has been a single player. I'm talking about the post-Jackie Robinson. I don't know if there's been a single player who's come in, who has come into a team and changed what people thought about the culture of that team the way Pedro did. And then, of course, Pedro... When he was there, Manny was there. We know that the Red Sox. One of the reasons they got David Ortiz was Pedro. Pedro was pounding the you know on on, on the general manager's door. He was pounding on the owner's door. He was saying when David Ortiz was released, "You got to get this guy in here. Trust me, this guy. Yep. Get him with Manny. This guy is gonna rake. He's gonna flat out hit." And Pedro, uh, in, initially, I think a lot of people just viewed a, a David Ortiz joining the team. It was just management kind of throwing Pedro a bone and saying, okay, right, you know, Pedro's the guy here. We'll bring one of Pedro's, one of Pedro's pals. In. But it, it, it really was a remarkable transformation in, in that, the, the culture around that team and, and really changed what a lot of people thought about, what a lot of people thought about the Red Sox. And they became so tied in with that city. I, mean, I, th- I think back to 2004, there, there was just there was a whole music and literary, uh, a whole cultural scene around the Red Sox, right? The Dropkick Murphys and all this, all this stuff going on. You went to you 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 went to cover a World Series in Boston, and it was a citywide event in the way that it wasn't even the case with New York. It was just, it was a fun, it was a fun team to experience. It was a fun team to experience as a. Uh, you know, as, as as a visiting writer. Yeah, it absolutely was. Well, you had all, all kind of cast of characters, Johnny Damon and, and Kurt Schilling and Pedro Martinez and Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz, right? You had a little bit of everything, and that's what it takes to win. And for me, it's sort of if you look at the Blue Jays. When the Blue Jays are really good, they're intimidating. And and that's what they brought when they brought Pedro over. You you mentioned about the culture. You know, you have to be really good to change cultures, mm. and he was. And what better guy to start with than a Hall of Famer? 
Well, as we mentioned, uh, our next guest, certainly no stranger to Toronto, to Blue Jays fans, four World Series, two with the Jays, two with the Red Sox. Mike Timlin joins Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker on Blair and Barker. What was your first reaction to uh, to Big Poppy's election? I mean, were you surprised it was on the yeah. first ballot? <clears throat> I was a little surprised in the first ballot, but um, I, and then again, I wasn't. I mean, he just he seemed to be... Uh, you know, kind of the face of baseball a little bit on the East Coast. Um, you know, as a, as the characters you guys were talking about earlier, um, you know, he he did stand out for baseball for a long time for the Red Sox. So he was, you know, the marquee player, and um, he seemed to be, you know, the marquee guy going in to this, you know, Hall of Fame on the on his first ballot. So, you know. Then again, I'm not surprised. Hmm. Hey, Mike, you're on the, as I mentioned, you're with those two Blue Jays teams. You're also with those Red Sox teams. How did those Blue Jays teams compare to the Red Sox? And and I'll kind of spin off that a little bit and ask you if, if uh, David Ortiz reminded you of anybody in those Jays teams, whether we're talking about the way he was in the clubhouse or the way he was in the clutch. Well, um, comparatively, you know, the teams were – you know, if you break it down <clears throat> to personnel, um, they're very comparable. Um, you know, as, as you guys were saying um, a little bit that I heard, you know, it's a, it's a culture um, and it has to be, you know, cultivated. Um, you know, when I first got into Toronto in 91, um, we had a, we had a pretty good team. I mean, you know, we were, we were good. We made some, some trades with San Diego and we shored up some, you know, some areas that we thought we were short on and um, we put together a good team and it seemed um, it was kind of like a family at the beginning, Um, you know, but it was my first experience, you know, in the big league. So every, everything kind of seemed that way to me Um, as the years, you know, went by for 92 and 93, you know, we realized that, you know, the personnel that we were bringing in never hurt us. Um, The trades that were made, you know, along the line, you know, they were never detrimental. Uh, We never lost anything in the trade that, that uh, wasn't replaced by something as good or stronger. So the teams were very comparable. Um, And it kind of went along, you know, I mean, it was almost a mirror image, you know, 91, 2003, went to the playoffs, we lost 91, you know, we went to the playoffs, we lost, um, came up, you know, one or two games short, you know, it it happens, um, 2004 and then 92, we win obviously 2005, you know, in, in Boston wasn't the same as, you know, 93, but, um, you know, we still had a winning thought process and a culture that, you know, really is undeniable that they have it there now. Um, you know, Toronto in 94, we kind of, you know, we made some trades and, you know, we didn't really replace a lot of people that we traded off with, with, you know, bigger, better talent. Uh, it seemed like we just kind of fire sailed it. And then, you know, obviously it went downhill a little bit, but, uh, yeah, if if I look at them, you know, in the, those two teams, that's how I would compare those. 
uh, Mike, you, you faced uh, Ortiz when he was David. <laughs> and in 2003, in my eyes, anyway, anyway, he, he, he became Big Poppy. Was there anything that you saw, you know, looking from afar, looking from the bullpen, that you just had noticed that, you know, maybe he had a better eye at the plate, maybe his bat looked quicker? Did you see any difference that turned him into the guy that we all know as Big Poppy? Kev, um, when he was in Minnesota, he was he was not the same hitter. And I, I, I've – I've sat down, you know, in the locker room after games with him, you know, because we, I learned over my career um, before I got into Boston that to learn how to get hitters out, you need to talk to hitters, not just pitchers, yeah. not just pitching coaches. You got to talk to the hitters. What are they looking for? What are they not looking for? What are they looking for from you? You know, what do they see in you? And, you know, and the hitters do the same thing with pitchers. Um, David Ortiz in Minnesota was uh, and and I've told him this. He was terrible. He had a uh, a huge hole, even for a left-hander, um, down and in and under his hands, a huge gaping hole. And when he was traded over or signed with us in 2003, um, you know he got to start working with Manny, and Manny's simplistic view of hitting. Um, really, you know, brought him back down to basics on what he needed to do. And I saw every day in, in batting practice the what he was working on. And he always worked on going to left field and going to left center and going to center field. Right field and down the line, you know, that's a natural thing for every hitter. Um, but going the other way, staying on the ball, staying on the breaking ball, staying on the changeup, um, you know, changing your your mental thought of what that that you have to do with that ball. I, you know, I, I got to see that develop in you know the years that I played with him, and he became you know big poppy, just like you're saying, just a dangerous yep. hitter in in every situation. Mike Timlin joins us on Blair and Barker. Uh, he was especially a dangerous hitter in in the postseason. What what explained his ability to come through in the clutch? I think he had a, a calm about him. Uh, he learned to, you know, you get the, the rush of the playoffs and it seems like everything's moving all the time in the locker room, on, on the TV, you know, everybody's talking, you know, and he had the ability to, you know, kind of quiet that, you know, we went to the plate. I mean, he had his plan. Um, you know, he had, he had a game plan on every guy, um, he deviated from it a few times, but not often. I mean, you know, he knew how guys were going to try to get him out. Even the left-handers that he was facing, you know, they usually bring in for lefty-lefty things. Um, he had a, an idea of, you know, you take your shot or you take your shot early. Otherwise, you know, you let them come to you. And, you know, he if you watch and you go back and watch some of his at-bats in the playoffs, he was either swinging at the first or second pitch or it was the fifth or sixth. So he had an idea of how he was going, you know, to get it done. Mike, do you have a favorite moment from David Ortiz? Um, 
I guess baseball wise, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a like a and a, a, a batch you saw, like he faced a tough lefty, and you saw him wait on a breaking ball, and you're that just stuck in your mind, something like that. You know, when the thing that always sticks in my mind for him um, is when we got down, and he faced uh, Paul Quantrill, and you know, and I love Paul to death. Um, you know, Paul and I played together. You know, there in Toronto, uh, got to know him. And, you know, still we were great friends, you know, when he was in New York and, you know, to see how precise, you know, Paul Quantrill was when he pitched. Um, and then to see him against us in the playoffs, you know, he jogged in. I'm like, oh man, you know, this is, this is gonna be a tough one for us. And cause you know, his ball moves, you know, like a cat running through, you know, the jungle. It's, it's crazy. And he knows exactly where it's going. It just seemed like he could just pitch on the edge of the box all the time. And when he threw a pitch, you know, to him and to to David, and he he took him, you know, deep in the right field. That was to me, you know, obviously it was a, a mistake by Paul, but you know, David had his idea, and they did pitch him up and in a lot, and you know. Paul is a he's a sinker ball pitcher. He's a down and away, you know, change up guy. That you know, stay down and away, stay out of the power zone. And when I saw David took him, you know, took him deep, it was it was just it was awesome. I mean, that's that's the at bat that sticks in my head. You know, when I can I go back and I, I think about David. I saw an interview you did in the MLB Network recently, and you said something that really kind of kind of fascinated me. You talked about with the Red Sox, with you guys, you said it wasn't just us against the world. It was us trying to make a better world. And what you were talking about in a lot of ways was how David was always so giving, not just with young guys or players in your team, but with other teams. Did you guys ever go up to him and say, hey, David, stop talking to these guys. <laughs> stop giving them. You're going to the Hall of Fame, bro. Stop giving them hints. <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, you know, we, we accepted it as a team, uh, really, you know, we all, you know, you want to pass the game on the right way. You don't, you don't want to face, I mean, you don't want to beat people up just like you're winning the league. You know, you don't want to beat people up and them not be able to play their best. No athlete worth his salt that ever wins anything is happy about beating somebody who is, you know, not on his level. So we all, you know, guys that came into my bullpen, guys that came in on my team, you know, we all tried to make each other better. And, you know, you see people's shortcomings, you see what they can't do, and you try to fix it as a teammate. And that is what you try to do is in making a better world. Um, you know, the baseball world is, is, a, is a very small, minute part of this world. And, you know, it's the top athletes that get there. Some get there and, and stay. They continue to make an adjustment in the game. Some get there, you know, flash in the pan, and they're gone because they don't make an adjustment in the game. The game will chew you up and spit you out, and it just keeps rolling. It's been doing it for 200 years. So if you can adjust and tell people how to adjust because you're adjusting, you know, then you make the game better. You make you know, your small amount or your team and the world around you better. 
Mike, it uh, was terrific of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Terrific insight. And, uh, yeah, yes, I think it'll be, a lot of, it'll be a lot of fun in Cooperstown, I think, this summer. Thanks, Mike. All right. I think, I think you'll have a good time. Good talking to you guys. Be well. Take care. That is Mike Timlin. Um, quite a career he had. Uh, back-to-back World Series with the Jays. A couple of World Series with the Red Sox. So David Ortiz is going into the Hall of Fame. He's a second key member of that team to go in, of course, along with his good friend Pedro Martinez. But the 2004 Red Sox had many, many other characters and many, many other stories. One of their most colorful joins us next on Blair and Barker. Ortiz fights it off center field. Damon running to the plate, and he can keep on running to New York. Game six tomorrow night. Welcome back to Blair and Barker, the podcast. As always, download, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your favorite pods. We'll be back on Sportsnet 590 The Fan on a daily basis before you know it. Now, there were many signature moments for the Red Sox and David Ortiz, and one of them most surely was Ortiz's 14th inning single to center field in Game 5 of the 2004 ALCS. Staved off elimination against the New York Yankees. Of course, the Red Sox went on to win that series in seven games. They were down three games to nothing in that series. They would come back to win it, as I said, in seven en route to breaking the curse of the Bambino. Now, that Red Sox team affectionately became known as the Idiots. And the man who, well, I guess the man who gave them that nickname is our next guest. He also scored the winning run on that Ortiz hit and would hit two homers, including a grand slam in Game 7. He is Johnny Damon. Johnny, how you doing? And thanks so much for taking time out to talk to Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker. Everything is going fantastic here. Thank you for having me. And, yes, congrats to Big Poppy. I mean, the best postseason hitter of all time. And I'm happy he was able to help us out and erase that 86-year curse. Hey, have you, have you had a chance to talk to David yet? And, and, and what were your first thoughts when you heard he was a first ballot Hall of Famer? Did you have any doubt that he was going to get in on the first ballot? I wasn't sure. I know everybody was focused on Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, which I believe those two should have got into the Hall of Fame. I mean, those two have never failed a test. You know, there's speculations, but that's how our world works now. Like, if we think you did something, then you did it. And Roger Clemens, seven Cy Youngs, Barry Bonds, the most home runs of all time, Pete Rose, the most hits of all time. I feel like this could have been a very positive time for Major League Baseball in getting through that era and especially dealing with a possible strike situation right now as well. So unfortunately that didn't happen for them. And I'm very happy David Ortiz got in. And um, unfortunately he's going to be the only one uh, um, up there this year with a few other guys I know. I know, But uh, it's unfortunate for uh, Major League Baseball and the Riders. I mean, come on. Yeah, we, we've heard from Ortiz's former teammates about how great he was in the clubhouse. What made Big Poppy such a good teammate? Well, I, you know, Big Poppy could mix in with everybody. Every um, 
Spanish-speaking uh, player, every nationality, everybody. And that's what made him uh, very special. He was uh, full of life. Um, we all love to be around him. And he's a very funny guy. You know, once you get past the, <laughs> a couple words that he might misspeak, but we, he always <laughs> thought he was funny. And we love him to this day. And I'm happy for him. And we may have to make plans this uh, summer to go up and check out this uh, great induction of Big Poppy. I, I was going to say, I don't think Cooperstown – I don't think Cooperstown could handle it if all the idiots got <laughs> together for David Ortiz's induction. I've been to Cooperstown. That that you guys might turn that town upside down. I'd I'd be worried. <laughs> well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Go out there and have fun, and uh, you know maybe we can create another uh, Woodstock uh, scenario <laughs> up there and uh, just party for a few days. We would love it. I would uh, love it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think I think we could all use it. Hey, hey, hey Johnny, what was it about? You you touched on this right out, right out of the gate. And it's something that I always think of when I think of David Ortiz as well. What made him so clutch as a hitter? Is, is there anything, his approach, anything you can pick out about him? Well, it's definitely a learning process. You uh, learn the game when you're a young kid and you think you know a lot even before you make it to the big leagues, David got to experience failure and being released. And as a favor to um, Pedro and Manny, David got signed by the Red Sox to be our pinch hitter, part-time first baseman off the bench. When his time came, he took full advantage of it. He uh, honed in on his craft and just became the best postseason hitter in history and stepping up in the clutch I mean you have to quiet down the game and he was able to do it a bunch of our teammates were able, able to do it we saw what he did we saw what the other players did like Manny myself and everybody knew that there's going to be a time where you have to step up and be the man and Big Poppy did to get us to game five, to get us to game six, to give us a two-run lead in game seven. That's what he was able to do, and the rest of us were able to watch it and hope we could participate. And fortunately enough, I was finally able to get a couple of hits in uh, game seven because Big Poppy gave us that, uh, that chance. Johnny, what was it like being in a batting cage with Big Poppy? Uh, well, he had a lot more time. You know, I was patrolling <laughs> center field. and <laughs> um, But he just did the necessary work that he needed to. Like, I'm not a big fan of swinging until you're, you have blisters or anything because I feel like if you have a good swing and you feel good about it, roll with it, whether it's uh, taking – um, five swings or taking 200. If you're not swinging well, that's when you need to spend that extra time in the cages, and that's exactly what I did in uh, like game five, game six, and got myself going 
because I see the work ethic that guys like David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez has, and um, the dedication. And it was absolutely amazing to uh, win that World Series after 86 years. I mean, we can talk about all the phrases we have, reverse the curse, um, curse of the Bambino is no longer because of Big Bobby. Uh you mentioned a little earlier that one of the reasons, or probably the major reason the Red Sox actually signed him was as a favor to Pedro. What did Pedro tell you guys <clears throat> about David Ortiz? And, and did you guys know much about him uh, when he joined the uh, Red Sox from Minnesota? Well, I knew he was a uh, first baseman and a power hitter, obviously known more for his hitting and we thought he could definitely help us out. We knew we had a good team. We just didn't know how good of a team we had. We barely missed the playoffs that first year in 2002. 2003, we made the playoffs and possibly could have won the World Series if I didn't get that concussion because I was possibly the hottest hitter in the league mm-hmm. at that time. And like I know how to acquire the game. And... Getting that concussion, I mean, definitely hurt us in 2003, but, uh, you know, we kept battling. We kept fighting, and um, because of that, because of everybody, like the Bill Millers of the world who gets that key hit, but he wouldn't have got it if Kevin Millar didn't get the walk, and then Dave Roberts gets that stolen base. And so everybody pitched in on our team, and that's what makes that Red Sox team so, so loved. And, yes, we were a bunch of idiots. I think Kevin Millar may have coined that phrase to me, like, uh, privately. And I just speak out too much. (laughs) The media loves me. I'm I'm diarrhea of the mouth. And, uh, you know, it kind of just stuck with me. But um, in saying that, everybody should look at themselves like an idiot. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes, but... If you can pick yourself up and uh, continue to do great things, whether it's uh, what I'm doing now with charities, with uh, people, I uh, you always have to be able to pick yourself up, and that's what we need to teach our younger generation of uh, kids, especially the ones trying to play baseball. I mean, baseball is a failure sport. People don't like to see failure, but if you don't know how, how to pick yourself up, it's going to be a tough go. So that's what I try to tell all these kids that I talk to at these camps. Um, try to talk, tell my kids about it. Like failure is going to happen. Um, there's only been one perfect person and that's Jesus Christ. And, uh, he's, uh, he's with us. He's not going to guide us because we have his spirit with us and we are the ones who need to, uh, um, step up and do the right things at all times. And, um, once again, playing for that Red Sox team, probably the best time of my life, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed winning over those fans after, you know, 86 years of losing. It was absolutely incredible. Johnny, I was going to ask you, uh, 2003, of course, that was, you said you had the concussion. It was a really good Red Sox team. You lose to the Yankees. Aaron Boone hits that homer. Of course, Grady Little, Pedro Martinez. Um, I've always wondered, because I, 
I've been in the Red Sox clubhouse when you guys were celebrating World Series. Wins as a writer, I covered the World Series. I've also been in the clubhouse a little bit after losses. And, and I, I'm just kind of wondering, what was David like? We know David liked celebrating. Oh, God, David loved celebrating. We know that. What was he like, though, after losses? Like, how did he handle, I'm going to call it the pain of losing? Well, it kind of it depends on what games you lose. Like, if you lose a game during the regular season, um, you kind of have to deal with them because you have to be ready to play the next night. And, yeah, our 2003 team was spectacular. Um, we went into the season without a named closer, finished the season that way. Um, we... You know, that ended up being Grady Little's uh, last game. But Grady Little, you know, best manager I've had. The players loved him. And Pedro wanted the ball. And Grady Little got the, uh, uh, you know, the bad press about it. But Grady Little, I love that guy. And uh, he gave a lot of players confidence. He gave a lot of players uh, laughters and uh, just – Amazing, and I think he was very instrumental in making Big Poppy like comfortable in Boston. Uh, I heard Sean Casey a couple of days ago on the MLB Network. They were asking favorite stories about Big Poppy, and he said uh, he was on a team with him. They were down seven nothing. A Big Poppy walks by and says, "I'm going to get this guy, and then we're going to roll." They won the game eight to seven. Do you have any uh, <laughs> moments like that that you remember? Just you know, he brought that swag, and he sort of led by example. Do you have any favorite moments like that? Man, we yeah, we had so many of those moments because I feel like it was ingrained in us when we all came together. Um, you know, misfits from other places, uh, free agents, uh, people getting traded over. We all stepped up, and whenever we were down, we always talked about let's get a couple runs here, get another run there. And we came back and won so many games. I think we broke the record for most runs scored in 2003. But we had that ability to uh, laugh at each other, joke with each other, and pump each other up. And this team was special. Um, we still chat with each other quite a bit, like the whole team. And when we went back for the 10-year Anniversary. Hopefully there's a 20-year uh, anniversary coming up in a, a few years. Everybody seemed to be in pretty darn good shape, and we uh, just continue to uh, enjoy our favorite year on this planet in 2004. I mean, shoot, winning the World Series, getting married again. Um, it was the greatest year of my life, and uh, hopefully we can uh, replicate that someday in the future. You know, 2009 was special for me, but uh, nothing comes close to 2004. Johnny, how, how do you? How much do you think the Green Monster helped turn David Ortiz into Big Poppy? Well, he can uh, barely touch a ball, and it can turn into a. Uh, I would love to say a double all the time, but. We know Big Poppy was probably a single. We couldn't afford to have him uh, run hard and get hurt. But uh, uh, it, helps out, it helps out a lot of left-handed hitters. And uh, 
Um, unfortunately for me, like I don't hit the ball far the other way. I think the only home opposite field home run I had at Fenway Park, I actually stopped on second base asking if the, it was somehow a ground rule double that a fan reached over. And, um, <laughs> I pulled the ball. <laughs> Even though I'm fast, I like to pull the ball. But, uh, um, yeah, the uh, wall definitely helps out some uh, – Power hitting left-handers, and David Ortiz was no exception. I know Mo Vaughn was very special with that wall. Wade Boggs, um, so many players. And I'm happy for David. Seems like everything is going great with his life. On TV, um, has podcasts, his golf tournament benefits, the Jimmy Fun, and a bunch of people and kids in the Dominican. So, Everything is uh, going great for him, and I'm super happy for him. Johnny, last question from us. I'm wondering what your relationship was like with David after you left for the Yankees. I mean, I know there's that famous interview on TMZ where I think he says, that's some BS or something like that. But he was laughing, as I remember he was laughing when he said it. What, yeah. what was the did, – did, you know, was there a point in time where you guys didn't talk because of that or was Big Papi – yeah, whatever. It's business. We all make decisions. Yeah, no, our relationship has stayed good. Uh, we understand it's a business. You know, they had a young kid named Jacoby Ellsbury coming up. They also, um, you know, it was time to move. And I wanted baseball mm -hmm. to remain important. And obviously putting the pinstripes on was great. But uh, Big Poppy, I mean, we are, uh, my wife Michelle and I are, D'Angelo's godparents and we uh, go to his golf tournament and these kids always wanted to bother uh, David and Tiffany and we're like we'll watch them you guys have your adult time and I got D'Angelo to start doing push-ups and all that stuff and it looks like D'Angelo's a absolute beast right now because you know if you're not doing anything, do push-ups because they will stay with you forever. I started doing push-ups when I was six years old, and I'm still a beast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, uh, listen, you were one of uh, the first of David's teammates we wanted to get on when we heard he was going into the Hall of Fame. So thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it, and uh, be well and stay safe, my friend. Thanks for this. Thank you so much. Yeah. All my best, guys. Take care. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Kevin, you know, that uh, that will be one hell of a Hall of Fame induction. Like, can you imagine if, if, if all those idiots show up? You know, Pedro's going to be there, but can you imagine <laughs> if Millar shows up and Damon shows up? And and the thing is, there's a, you know, I mean, Big Pappy's going to be the guy. Now, th there's some other guys going in. Uh, you know, as a result of the uh, the Veterans Committee or the, the ERA Committee selection. But it's all Big Pappy. And, man, he's going to dominate that stage like no one else has dominated that stage. It'll be, it'll be a riot. It'll be, it'll be yeah. a hell of a Hall of Fame induction. They'll turn, I swear to God, they'll turn that town upside down. They'll burn it. They'll burn it down. Yeah, it seems like, it, it seems like they love him. Uh, it, it seems like he's been the greatest teammate in the history of teammates. Yes. And, you know, the COVID restrictions, remember that, are, are lifted. And now you can go up and you can have fun and enjoy and, and you know, clap for for the greatest teammate on planet. I hope so. You know, it seems like he's a really nice guy and he's he's earned it.
Yeah, yep. Hopefully they go up and support it. But I, that's not what I thought. I, I was thinking that maybe Jeff Blair could get on the Johnny Damon push-up program. And, and let's start let's start pushing them out here. Let's go. What? Yeah, right. Huh? I was not down with that whole push-up thing, man. I could think of better things to do with my time no? than push-ups. Although I can picture Johnny Damon being bored in his hotel room and just getting down. Give me 200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, doing one-arm push-ups. I can see that happening, too. Hey, you know salad. what time it is? You know what time it is in Blair and Barker? What time is it? It's my favorite time in Blair and Barker. Barker's back leg bits. De lado, Kevin Baker. El envío saca batazo de fly profundo al bosque derecho cuadrangular bestial para Kevin Baker. We said Barker's bits, not Baker. My goodness, Barker just airmailed that thing. It's time for Barker's back leg bits. Yeah, Barker's back leg bits. This is a uh, your chance to ask questions of Kevin Barker. Roundabout, I guess, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, I will send out something on social media. And uh, SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle. And uh, DM me. DMs are open. And you can DM a question. We had a lot of questions for Kevin. First of all, I got a question for you. Are you in the Hall of Fame? Are you in the Virginia Tech Hall of Fame? Uh, I'm pretty sure I am, yeah. I, I okay. knew how you were trying to catch me there. Like, I didn't know what I was, <laughs> what I was talking about because I don't know my fight song for Virginia Tech. Yeah. Okay, but I'm pretty I just, sure I am. I got it down and got it singing in college. So I'm yeah, pretty I just, sure. most, most people would know if they were in the Hall of Fame or not. That's <laughs> the only reason I asked. Uh, as I said, no surprise, Kevin. The Hall of Fame is a subject of several listener questions. Um, Ash from Wellen, he's a regular listener, says, if you were the deciding vote to elect only one between Rose Bonds and Clements to get into the Hall of Fame, who would you choose and why? Uh, it's a great question. I asked you this one answer to this. That's Bonds. For me, anyway, I played against him. He's the greatest hitter I've ever seen walk between lines on a baseball field. If I had one vote, it'd be Barry Bonds. Yet you told me that you that you don't think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. I would have thought you would have said Pete Rose. That's that's absolutely not true. I said if you have been suspended by Major League Baseball, okay. I would not vote. Ah, okay. Did Barry All Bonds right. get suspended All by right. Major League Baseball? No. All right. All right. Okay. All right, just just checking. Uh, David, hmm. via direct message, what was your favorite team growing up, and who was your favorite player? And when you reached the majors, Kevin, I presume he's talking about you. When you reached the that's a joke. When you reached the majors, <laughs> who was your favorite teammate? Okay, I had I had two favorite teams when I was growing up: the Reds and the Braves. The Reds because uh, of the uh, the big red machine. My dad was in love with the Reds, so I was sort of in love with the Reds. And Glenn Braggs, yeah, I don't know if you remember Glenn Braggs. Was the first baseball game I ever went to was the Reds. He was on the on deck circle. You remember he wore the mm-hmm. the uniforms with no shirt underneath, and it had the, like a vest. And he was on the on deck circle. And he was warming up, and he broke his bat. It's the coolest thing up. I ever seen ever. Warming up on the on-deck circle. So that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And the Braves, obviously, with, with uh, Glavin, Maddox, and Steve Avery. That's a name you don't hear every day. I was sort of in love with him with the left-handed pitching, and I was trying to be that guy when I was, you know, in between whether I was going to be a hitter or, or a pitcher. Right. So, that, you know, that, that was the guy that I was looking into. And Mark Lemke, Lemke you remember that guy, the mm-hmm. second baseman who, you know, it's sort of like the little engine that could. Every good team needs a guy like that. And uh, what, what was the other part of it? The, Your who was favorite my favorite teammate? teammate? Jeff Jenkins. Name. Yeah, Je- Jeff Jenkins was my favorite teammate. He was when I first got called up to the big leagues. Uh, we we went to the Arizona Fall League together. 
you know, we were sort of the same kind of hitter. And obviously he had a little bit better career than I did and made a little bit more money than I did. But he was the guy that sort of, I don't know, want to say took me under his wing because we came up together. But it was sort of, we were uh, we were a package deal. Wherever he went, I went. And, you know, he, his career went a little bit better than mine. But he was the guy. Winter ball, Moises Alou was my, I know he wasn't a teammate, but just that that mentor of a guy that I could see every time I went to winter ball, it was like a new season for me. He was one of the guys, and, I, you know, I, could, I never will forget Mo would yell and scream at me in a batting cage because I wasn't getting my foot down on time, and I was getting started <laughs> on time. And so that, that was kind of cool, too. Uh, Jason Teeps asked the question, how do you think MLB handles the Canadian border issue this year? since there will be no national interest exemption for unvaccinated players. I, I mean, who, who knows the regulations, what the regulations are going to be the end of March, but it's probably safe to say, Jeff, or assume that Mark Shapiro is all over this as much as possible, you would think, right? Yeah, I, I would think so, especially given what the Blue Jays went through last year with playing all those games in different, in different ballparks. Uh, and everything like that. I do know, I, I remember Mark saying last year when we were talking uh, about whether or not the team would stay in Buffalo instead of coming up to Toronto if there were going to be no fans in the stands. I remember Mark saying then that, you know, no, the, the, the important thing was getting the team back in Toronto, getting the team back in the Rogers Centre. So I, I think I, I'm not going to speak for Mark, but I, I, I would think that, uh, you know, well, knock on wood, first of all, let's hope we're a little farther along by the time March comes. But, um, you know, in, in terms of attendance, I don't think it'll be that much of an issue whether or not the Jays play here. The national interest exemption, though, I mean, that is that is something that's got to be dealt with. The NHL's dealing with it now, and uh, the NBA's dealing with it. So so let's see. Let's see what, uh, what Major League Baseball uh, has to do with it. And, again, cross our fingers. First of all, cross our fingers and hope that there's a labor agreement soon the signs were pretty positive this week it seemed as positive as you're going to get in these talks but uh uh it's we're going to be a while yet i think before we uh we have to worry about border restrictions and things of that nature that was a lot of fun today kevin that was a lot of fun love johnny damon love having mike timlin on uh johnny damon red what would you call red red Sox woodstock redstock (laughs) <laughs> that's it Red i mean if stock. i if i had to have one if i had to have one guy leading that leading that parade wouldn't it be johnny damon i would think it would be johnny damon it's going to be quite a show congratulations again to david ortiz and uh well next year's ballot has got carlos beltran on it oh, we got some stuff to talk about that of course alex rodriguez will still be on it i'm going to only vote for one guy in the ballot next year bark that's going to be a rod jeff kent getting it out there right now that's it for blair and barker we'll be back next week but in the meantime please 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 rate review and subscribe wherever you get your pods stay safe be well we'll see you later